You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Forty years ago, the Supreme Court upheld the right of all students to a public school education, regardless of their legal status, in the case of Plyler v. Doe. Now, in light of the Supreme Court's apparent willingness to overturn precedent in the case of Roe v. Wade, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, says the Plyler decision is another longstanding precedent they'll challenge. One or both of those two decisions are going to have to go. Either the Arizona decision will have to go, giving states full authority to enforce U.S. immigration laws, or Plyler will have to go, saying that the federal government is going to be responsible for paying the states for the cost of education that we're incurring because of the mass illegal immigration that we're seeing today compared to the way it was 40 years ago. My guest is Leon Fresco, a partner at Holland and Knight. Tell us about Plyler versus Doe, which has been on the books for 40 years. Plyler versus Doe was a very close decision back in the 80s. It wasn't a slam dunk by any means, and the state of Texas had said we have a problem where people who don't have status are coming into Texas and they're bringing their kids to school. And the fact that those kids are being uh, educated in Texas is causing a resource constraint on us. And so we are going to make it that you have to be here legally in order to go into public schools in Texas. And so the people who sued had two basic theories for why it is that they would sue. They said that, first of all, there should be a fundamental right to education for all persons in the United States. And second, they said that even if there isn't a fundamental right to education, there should be an equal protection violation here because the children are in some form or fashion a protective class that the government should have scrutiny for. And what the court ultimately did, and this was sort of a very difficult decision in terms of precedents that would be re-examined, is they said, well, first of all, we're not going to declare a fundamental right to an education because what ends up happening there 
is then you sort of engender, they didn't say this, but the idea was that would engender all these lawsuits then about funding and kids in certain places not getting as much funding as kids in other places. So they didn't want to go down that route. And so instead, they said, this is an equal protection violation, but there's no scrutiny that needs to be given. This has to go under the rational basis test because the government is allowed to discriminate between people with immigration status and people without, but we can see no rational basis whatsoever for excluding children who don't have legal status from the school. It's too cruel. It doesn't solve anything about the parents' motivation to come here, and so there's no tie to it. And so the question is, given how close a case and decision that was back then, and given a at least idea now that's out there that the courts may start looking at past precedents, the state of Texas is saying, well, why don't we take a run at this issue, given that we believe we could find at least five, maybe six justices to say that there is a rational basis to say that kids without status shouldn't be going to public school as opposed to kids with status. And so that's really what it would tie down to is, would the Supreme Court be willing to say that, that there is a rational basis for a law that actually discriminates between kids with status and kids without status, or would they maintain their decision that there is no such rational basis? Would Texas have to show that the expenses for educating immigrant children have skyrocketed, anything like that? Correct. Texas is going to have to show economic harm that would provide their rational basis for doing this. And what Texas is saying now is if this was just immigrants coming in speaking English or Spanish, we'd be fine. But now we actually have a new dimension, which is immigrants are coming in who speak all sorts of languages that aren't just limited to English and Spanish. And when we need to put those kids in our public schools, we have to employ English as a second language teachers who will then move these children from their language into English, and all of that requires immense expenditures to get students to learn English from all of these different second languages. So that's what Governor Abbott is saying in Texas. And so if that lawsuit is filed, I think there will be a very interesting year or two where it's an analyze whether the court actually will reverse Plyler versus Doe, which would, of course, have some pretty devastating consequences for all of the kids who are in school right now who don't have status. I mean, we hear all of the stories about the dreamers, and none of those dreamers who have all these oppressive stories would have been possible had they not been permitted to go into the public schools in the first place. And so this becomes quite a complicated story. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY.
Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. What Abbott said, Texas wants, is that the federal government should foot the bill. Well, that's certainly one way to eliminate the rational basis from Texas, which is that if the federal government were to fund all of the additional costs for educating children without status in the United States, then state of Texas would be sort of relieved of its standing to be able to do in that regard. So both from a rational and a judicial perspective, it does seem like the right argument for the governor of Texas to be making, but it remains to be seen whether any such funding would be forthcoming, given the sort of splits that we have in the Congress right now. It'd be very unlikely that you would see a whole new batch of government funding to sort of make up for the gaps that are caused by educating people without status. You do see this in the healthcare field. There actually are healthcare streams of funding that are there for what's called emergency medical services. And even though that's not actually targeted toward people without status, that's the lion's share of the people appearing at a lot of these emergency rooms now who don't have any kind of health care benefits of any kind. And there is this sort of emergency disparate share Medicare, Medicaid funding that does go to the states for this purpose. And so it would be interesting to see if the federal government would consider something like that for education, but nevertheless, it's something that remains to be seen whether that would be able to happen in time to relieve Texas of standing. If Texas wins this, the federal government will have to come in probably and pick up the tab. Well, I mean, if they win it, then it's unclear how that could happen, because if they win a case that says that they don't have to educate students without status, then the question is, does that second issue of the federal government being able to relieve the states of that duty actually get decided and litigated there. My fear would be that you wouldn't even get to that second issue of whether the federal government could actually alleviate this by paying. I mean, it would be logical, but it's unclear that we get there because it would just be decided, like Plyler was, is there a rational basis to discriminate between students with status and students without status? So I'm wondering how Texas would go about this, because it's not like the Biden administration is telling them to do this, so they can't sue the Biden administration. This is a Supreme Court decision. They can't sue the Supreme Court. How would they even get this before the court? Well, what has to happen is the Texas state legislature would actually have to pass a law that would, again, it would be at the beginning an unconstitutional law, but they'd have to pass an unconstitutional law that banned undocumented students from being able to go to school or maybe would do something like some of the laws they've been doing with abortion where it's a deviant of that, so it's not the exact same thing. So, for instance, they might pass a law that charges undocumented students full tuition in order to go to school. So it doesn't ban them, but says if if you want to come, you have to pay full tuition, whatever that might be. And so 
then that would create a situation where if it's not challenged, the kids can't go to school. But if it's challenged, then it would go all the way to the Supreme Court to decide whether that law can prevail or not. This is years in the making because the Texas legislature isn't even in session right now. Right. It would it would not be something unless there was a special session dictated or unless some other state tried to do the same thing. It doesn't seem to be something that we would get a decision on anytime soon. But, of course, if any state did this or if Texas were to do a special session and then they would file an injunction and then that injunction would be denied, you could pretty quickly start getting working that way up through the injunctive process. And so while now it remains in the theoretical, it's an important decision to be on the lookout for, as is the one in Arizona versus the United States. That's the second decision that people have been saying, well, if the court is going to start reversing prior decisions in the immigration realm, there's Flyler versus Doe, but also there's Arizona versus the United States. Tell us just briefly what Arizona versus the United States did. Sure. In Arizona versus United States, we remember this in the Obama administration, that Arizona said, we don't think the Obama administration is sufficiently enforcing the immigration law, so we are going to start arresting and detaining people who don't have immigration status. And so the federal government challenged that and said states can't enforce immigration law unless they're doing it with the consent of the federal government and in conjunction with them, not just on their own. And the court at that time agreed, and Justice Roberts agreed, so that's an important vote. That means there would be at least four votes for maintaining Arizona. But There are justices who were there at the time, Alito and Thomas, who supported the position of Arizona. And now there's three justices that are unaccounted for, Coney Barrett, Kavanaugh, and Gorsuch. And so the idea is, could they provide the five-judge majority to overturn that Arizona case and allow states like Texas and Arizona to start arresting and, and detaining for who knows how long people without status in their state? Has the court changed enough since... Plyler, on immigration decisions? I mean, do we know how these new justices are going to rule on immigration decisions in well, general? There, there have been some decisions so far that have been very helpful for the immigrant rights community. There was a decision called Ms. Chavez, which dealt with notice that needs to be given to immigrants in order to exclude them from applying for relief. And the court ruled in favor of the immigrants there. So there's some of that, but there's also some of the litigation, such as the Remain in Mexico litigation, where it's clear that the court is kind of sympathetic to enforcement-related positions. And so it becomes complicated. And there's also been some on the mandatory detention front, where the courts have been sympathetic to the enforcement positions. And so at the moment, I think there are probably easily bankable in any given immigration case for justices who are going to rule in the enforcement position. And so the question is, on any of the questions, because the three new justices seem to all have their own particular theories that sometimes make them rule in a different way, that they all don't necessarily match with one another. So the question is, on, on a particular theory, could you get one of the three new justices to come on your side. And so that's going to be the question in Plyler and in Arizona, is could you do that? But I do think it's fair to say that by the time 
this Biden administration finishes its first term, you probably will see decisions in both of those cases. Will Plyler be upheld and will Arizona be upheld? This was tested, but it was back in 1994 by Proposition 187 in California, which prohibited illegal immigrants from receiving public health care, education or other social services. What happened there? But when Proposition 187 was passed, which required, among other things, for police and healthcare professionals and teachers to verify and report the immigration status of all individuals, including children, there was a district court lawsuit that was filed. That district court held that it violated the U.S. Constitution and issued an injunction. And then there was a lot of settlement negotiations at the time. And the case actually ended in a settlement in 1999, where that would confirm that no child in the state of California could be deprived of their education or of health care because of their status. So that's how that ended. Abbott also talked about how the costs are going to escalate when Title 42 is ended. And a federal judge ordered a two-week halt to the phasing out of Title 42. Where does that stand? Well, In the Title 42 cases, we're still now working our way toward that temporary restraining order being made into a preliminary injunction. It's likely that a preliminary injunction will be issued in either the Louisiana case or the Texas case. And then once that preliminary injunction goes into place, I mean, they have until May 23rd. So I think you probably see the preliminary injunction ruling on the 22nd is most likely or the 21st. And then at that point, the federal government is going to have to appeal to the Fifth Circuit and or the Supreme Court after the Fifth Circuit does their ruling. But that's the likely route of what we're going to see. And then we'll know. But I I would look toward May 21st, May 22nd to see where we're actually going to be headed on this Title 42, whether it will be allowed to be rescinded or whether the courts will require that it remain in place. Do you think the Biden administration is secretly breathing a sigh of relief that this decision has been taken from them? I don't know. It's hard to say. I do think the more time that the Biden administration has to prepare for a post-Title 42 world, the better it is for them in terms of building resources and building the infrastructure for this. But at the same token, I do think they genuinely believe that at some point there will be a world without covid And then at some point, then you will have to administer the ending of Title 42. And so the question is, is it now? Is it a month from now? Is it three months from now? And so while I think any extra time is good, I don't know that they want an indefinite stay of this. And so you will see them push pretty aggressively to try to challenge these injunctions. Thanks so much, Leon. That's Leon Fresco, a partner at Holland and Knight. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. 
I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.